Hello, everybody. Welcome to No Internal Monologue, where I talk about whatever the want, whatever I want, and I don't know when to shut up. So, hi. Um, episode twenty. Wow, it's been a bit. It's been a long bit since I've been here. Um, so it's been about a month since I've actually recorded in the studio. That sounds really weird to say, but it's true. Uh, <laughs> so it's been a little bit. Um, and I have some catch-ups here for you. So, basically, I just w- have been working, like, the entire month. Um, I went to the 4th of July, like, celebrations and stuff in my hometown. Uh, I got a little sunburnt, and it's peeling quite a lot on my arms and legs, everything like that. Um, I've been getting pretty good tips lately. Um, the constant driving back and forth from work to home is kind of exhausting because usually I have to drive 40 minutes from my house to my place of employment. So that's that. Um, and yeah, I just, uh, God, I don't know. It's been, it's been a whirlwind of it. It's been a whirlwind of a month. Let me tell you. Um, and yes, uh, not yesterday. Today's Wednesday. So two days ago, Monday, uh, I actually have a fun update. So I went to a metaphysical shop for the first time. Uh, and on my last episode, I mentioned that I was working on like working with my spirituality and like learning about tarot cards and like crystals and everything like that. So I got the crystals that um, I got, like that I mentioned I was getting. Um, and then I also went to the metaphysical shop and I got some more. So I'm wearing a honey calcite right now. And I'm also wearing um, an angel light on my neck. Oh, excuse me. Bless me. Wow. First part of the podcast. That was early. Um, (laughs) And then I have like some crystals up in my uh, pockets. So I have a soda light crystal for focus. And then I have great adventuring for um, luck and prosperity. I had to remember. I am trying to figure out like all of these like crystals and different meanings. Um, I'm just I'm working on it. Um, I'm there are some that I'm like, oh my god, that's this, and this does this. Like full disclosure, like just like that. But with other ones, I'm just like, mm-hmm, I don't know. <laughs> so there's that. Um, so today I am joined by no one. So that's cool. Um, I'm joined by no one. I'm just here alone with my thoughts. Um, and this big ass monologue thing that I have prepared because today I am going to be talking about, um, a certain comedy special that has been on Netflix now for at least a month and a half. Um, and it's called Inside by Bo Burnham. So basically I've been, God, I've been watching this thing nonstop. I have watched this like five times. It's basically come like a, become like a comfort movie to me. I was like... This seems a lot more than a comedy special. Like, someone needs to really deep dive into this and figure out, like, you know, pick it apart a little bit. And I'm not trying to do this to be, like, critical or anything. Like, I love Bo Burnham to death. He's literally, like, one of my icons. I I idolize him a lot. Um, I'm not trying to, like, you know, say that he's, like, a god or anything. But I'm saying that, like, I very much admire him and I appreciate his work. Um, And something about this special just really, like just flipped a switch in me and I was like I need to deep dive into this some more I need to figure out like everything that goes on in this so I have 10 pages here (laughs) I have 10 pages um of information that I have been researching for the past two weeks um by watching inside 
like probably like five or ten more times. So I've watched this shit like up and down, left and right. It's it's a lot. And I still can't even like figure out some things in the special. Like I can watch it again and then I'll be like, oh, I didn't notice that before. Like it's one of those specials. So um, I'm just going to get right on into it. So first off, the person who created it, Bo Burnham. Who the hell is he? So Robert Burnham, uh, that's his real name. He's most commonly known as Bo Burnham. Um, he's basically an American comedian. He's a singer-songwriter. He's a musician, uh, rapper, actor, film director, screenwriter, poet, literally anything under the sun he can do, it seems like. Um, he was born in Hamilton, Massachusetts, and he began his career on YouTube in 2006. And he basically wrote and performed, like, God, I want to call it prepubescent musical comedy. Uh, and he would perform this in his bedroom you know playing the piano all by himself um and the content that he was creating at the time really resonated with his audience and as of now his first ever upload on youtube which is titled my whole family it now has a little over 11 million views which i'm just like all right racking that youtube cash bow i see you um Anyway, so his breakaway social media success, this whole YouTube platform, it led to a performance in London for Comedy Central's The World Stands Up, and it was performed back in January of 2008. And he was only 18 at the time when he did this, so he was like the youngest person ever to do this kind of thing. Um, and that was a huge thing. And right after this, he signed a four-year record deal with Comedy Central Records that same year, basically. Uh, his first EP, Bofo Show, <laughs> which, iconic, uh, it was released online in June of 2008, and still at the ripe age of only 18, like, that's a lot, like, performing in London, performing, like, performing and being, like, the youngest person to ever perform with, like, Comedy Central and do this kind of thing, and then sign a record deal, and put an, out an EP all in the same year at the ripe age of 18, like, that's a lot. I wish I was as successful at 18, but anyways. Uh, so after this, his full first album, he titled just his name, Bo Burnham. That's the title of the album. Uh, it was released in March of 2009, and it featured hits like I'm Bo Yo, uh, a live version of My Whole Family, which is what I mentioned earlier, the most viewed, like like his first ever upload. Uh, Rehab Center for Fitch... Fitch whoa, English. Rehab Center for Fictional Characters. That one's pretty much one of my favorites. Like, something about it just, like, makes you crack, like, cackle. Um, and then Welcome to YouTube, which we will get into Welcome to YouTube later because it has actually kind of a little bit of a role in uh, what happens. Uh, so, or it was around this time that Bo caught the eye of, like, the director of 40-year-old version, like, Judd Apatow. I think that's how you pronounce his name. Uh, and they worked together to create a project that was considered to be, like, the anti-high school musical of the time. Uh, but it never really got anywhere. It never materialized or anything like that, which sucked, but it's fine. Uh, and then in 2010, Bo actually taped his first stand-up special, Words, 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 for Comedy Special. And it was an hour-long performance that shares its name with the accompanying second album, Words, 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 right? So Bo followed this up with a small role in 2011's Hall Pass by the Fairley Brothers. Again, I could be bit butching that, but it's fine by the Fairley Brothers, uh, and he played a bartender in that. And he also, in 2012, he co-starred as Tony in Adventures of the Sin Bin, which is a comedic film about a virgin who lends his van to his more romantically ambitious friends, basically like all of his friends that are just like, oh, I wanna hook up with this person. Oh, I wanna go have sex. And he's like, all right, take my van, whatever. Uh, 
And then in 2013, he wrote, executive produced, and starred in Zack Stone is Gonna Be Famous. It was an MTV comedy series. And it was about a teenager who wanted to decide to go after the life of fame and stardom instead of attending college, which a lot of us tend to do nowadays, but it's it's fine. Um, so during this, it only lasted for one season. However, Bo's performance, as well as like the show's portrayal of like this teenager, like a one-man show, like trying to go after his all-encompassing desire for fame, basically that did garner a lot of praise. Like, a lot of praise. And then during that same year, he taped his second comedy special, What, which launched on Netflix and YouTube simultaneously, and it shared the same name with the accompanying third album, What. And it featured songs like Sad, uh, Left Brain, Right Brain, which we've seen that a lot on TikTok and stuff like that, um, from God's perspective, and the iconic masterpiece, A World on Fire. Please look that up if you haven't already. Please, please do. Uh, <laughs> so after this special, it was around this time that Bo literally started popping up f fucking everywhere. Like he was all over the place. We couldn't escape him, which was a good thing. But, you know, he was like all over. So one of those examples is like back in 2014, he was featured in a Parks and Recreation episode called Flu Season 2. And he was cast as this like 17-year-old country music star named Chip McCapp. Chip McCap, yeah, I'm pretty sure. Um, and the music of this character solely focuses on pickup trucks, his mom, and the troops. And then in 2015, he was featured in a Key and Peele sketch about an acapella group. And during that same year, he played the role of Diz in The Kroll Show. And he was basically, his character was like an aggressive, foul-mouthed, like, hooligan, basically. Just, you know, one of those guys. So he was playing in that. And then, moving on to 2016, he filmed another <laughs> comedy special, but at this time, it was exclusively for Netflix, and it was called Make Happy, and it was very meticulously choreographed, like, down to the word, meticulously choreographed. Like, you couldn't even go like, <gasps> like, you couldn't even do that, because it was so, like, go, 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 and it was so, like, scripted and spot on. And it was basically a live show. It features misdirection, prickly audience interactions, and of course, like, some weird but fucking amazing music. And his show, perf his show featured performances of the songs Lower Your Expectations, uh, the, uh, the song where he's just like, oh, kill yourself, that one. And then the one that's most famous from that special is the Can't Handle This song at the end, and it was his Kanye parody rant. Uh... And then he also had a song about parodying country music and stuff like that, using a bunch of similes and, like, pandering and all that. Um, and then this special was critically acclaimed, with some reviewers literally describing it as the best comedy special that Netflix has ever put, like, produced and put out. Uh, and then in that same year, Bo pr provided the voice as... Whoa, I cannot speak English. He provided the voice of Andrew Bangs in Cartoon Network's We Bear Bears. Like, bear as in, like, oh, we bear arms. But then bear as in, like, the animal. We Bear Bears. Um, and then more voice work would follow for Bo in 2017 as he provided the voice for, um, Sergio? Sergio? In the Comrade Detective episode, The Invisible Hand. Um, again, I could be butchering that name, but whatever. Uh, and then Bo directed and produced the... Jared Car Carmichael comedy special 8 on HBO and then had minor roles in two other films that same year. Those roles included his role as stand-up comedic comedian CJ in 
Kumail Nanjiani's comedy, The Big Sick, and then his role as Toby in Lucia Lucia Eniello's Rough Night. And again, these names, I wish I could tell you how bad I want to try to pronounce these names. I've literally been practicing them over and over and I still can't get it, which is sad, but it's fine. Uh, Funny enough, you wouldn't think that things would get better for him, but no, they do. So in 2018, he wrote and directed Eighth Grade, and it's basically a coming-of-age comedy drama that examines what it's like to be growing up with anxiety at the age of social media, especially when it comes to, like, people in, as the title, Eighth Grade. Um, And, geez, it was released to critical acclaim, and Elsie Fisher's breakout performance as the struggling teen and would-be YouTube self-help guru Kayla it's literally so compelling, but at the same time, it's just heartbreaking. Like, you want to learn more and you want to keep looking at the screen, but at the same time, you're just like, why am I crying? Like, it's one of those performances. And she did absolutely amazing in that film. I watched it. It was absolutely iconic. Um, and then this wasn't all for Bo Burnham's directing chops, as he directed Chris Rock's comedy special, Tambourine, which is a huge deal, if I say so myself. Like, directing a comedy special for Chris Rock. I can't. I can't. So, in 2020, Bo received a Hollywood Critics Association for Best Supporting Actor nomination for his role in of Ryan Cooper. And it's basically like the love interest of character Cassie in Emerald Fennel's Promising Young Woman, where basically it's an Oscar-nominated black comedy starring Carey Mulligan as Cassie. And that character is a 30-year-old medical school dropout, and she's on a quest for revenge for some odd reason, but we find out in the film. Um, and I I know what you're thinking. You're like, why are you going over this history? Why are you going over, like, who he is? Why are you going over, like, everything that he's been in? I'm glad you asked. Nobody asked, but it's fine. Uh, it's really important to mention how he began his career and how he's done with his career, like, writing and filming and performing songs in his bedroom specifically, because all of this ties together as a precursor for what would happen 15 years after his YouTube debut. And he filmed his Netflix comedy special, Inside. And it's solely written, performed, shot, edited, recorded, directed, all by Bo in one room over the span of quarantine. Uh, And this is what the specific podcast is going to be about, like I mentioned before. And it's basically... Okay, to put it in simple terms, I would say that this comedy special, quote-unquote, is a brilliant, introspective, and challenging comedy special about a year of Bo trying to be creative during the COVID-19 lockdown. And I put comedy in, like, quotations because even though it's labeled as a comedy special, I noticed that while watching it and obviously at the same time wondering how the hell he does all this all by himself with all these like little resources that he's doing like how he can find the creativity to do this blows my mind so while i'm watching this i notice that inside seems so much more than just a comedy special like it seems god it's like indescribable it's literally indescribable i would say um it's just like the layers and the depth and the symbolism and all of the in-between just makes it so much deeper than any normal stand-up special. And if you're listening to this podcast and if you haven't watched Inside yet, what the hell are you doing listening to this? <laughs> like, okay, I recommend you to pause this episode. Please come back to it, but pause it. Watch Inside. Maybe once, maybe twice, and then come back. And then listen to what I have to say about this. Because let me tell you, it's been a hell of a ride. Um, 
<laughs> it's been a hell of a ride. And obviously, like, it's impossible to catch everything on the first glance. Hell, it's impossible for me to catch everything, even though I've literally analyzed this thing, like, up, down, left, and right. And I've watched it at least, like, five times before even thinking about analysis, like, analyzing it. And then watching it, like, another five times, at least. And then watching other commentary channels to further explore the world of Inside. And I feel like... It, uh, I feel like Inside is just one of those like cinematic masterpieces that just is going to be analyzed decades and decades and decades after its release. It's going to be one of those specials. And with this in mind, I know that I'll never be able to hit on every single little detail of Inside. Nobody will. <laughs> like, nobody will. And nobody can completely understand every little thought that Bo had while creating this special in the first place. But this podcast episode full of my rambling and my notes and my repetitive thoughts it'll have to do so before i get started with everything that i have to say i would like to take a t like a little bit of time to just go over my resources real quick so i watched the special like 10 times over i have looked over his career over like wikipedia and multiple like s sources like bio like famous famous people bios and stuff like that um, I've also seen a lot of commentary channels on YouTube, like Netflix UK and Ireland, uh, Now You See It, Film Speak, and Tough Specialist. I have looked over all of these videos and I'm like, okay, yeah, this seems like, this seems like this is going to have to be like one of those where I look into every single little opinion and then try to come up with my thoughts as I will. So it's basically a compilation of me watching it and a compilation of me like taking others' opinions and being like, oh, I agree with this, but at the same time, I disagree with this. Like just, you just hear me ramble for however long this takes. So first, <laughs> let's get into the look inside an artist's mind because I feel like it's important to preface this whole analysis with. <clears throat> Water break. So, in some way, shape, or form, we've all been through the process of like the long hours and the sleepless nights and the self-doubt and like the points where we just loathe the workload of any like any kind of big project, especially when it comes to creative processes and, like, and when art happens. Because no matter the medium you work with is, like art is the one medium where if I'm honest, like you just say goodbye to a piece of yourself and once it's done and over, like you just, you just put it out into the world and you can't claim it as just yours anymore. It's you're putting yourself out there. Uh, your creative process turns into a process of letting go. It is human nature to not want to let go of something, especially when you're an artist who's afraid to put yourself out there and afraid of like, you know, of course, like when you're afraid to be that vulnerable and afraid to put yourself out there as much. There's a little bit of greediness in there at the same time because you want to put your shit out there, but at the same time, you want to keep it to yourself. Um, and I've had episodes like that where I'm just like, oh, like, this seems really special to me. I don't want to let this go quite yet. But then I'm like, you know what? I'm going to do it. Just why not? It's a podcast. This is literally like me being vulnerable in front of a microphone and me expressing all of my inner thoughts in, uh, excuse me, into a microphone. Wow, that was a deep moment. That was ruined. Um, but that's basically what art is. It's that. Um, it's like... Art is your opus, basically. And the second you let it go, it just becomes everybody else's to interpret as they wish, like I'm doing with Inside. Um, to put it simply, um, I found this quote by George Lucas um, that was also analyzed in one of the videos that I mentioned. Uh, and he once said that movies are never finished, they're abandoned. And in some way, shape, or form, 
after pondering it for a while, I I agree for the most part. And I would like to think that Bo Burnham agrees as well. However, I could be wrong. However, this quote, like this, despite this quote of like every movie is not finished is abandoned. There are some pieces where I would like to disagree with that because every piece of art needs an audience at some point. Like without you guys, the audience, which next, thank you for, for sticking with me for 20 episodes now. It's boggling my mind in the many countries that um, I have been able to hit. Like for example, like Canada, India, Indonesia, Egypt, UK, Germany, Poland, Spain, Estonia, South Africa, Italy, Japan, Ukraine, Morocco, Israel, Sweden, New Zealand, Pakistan, Belarus, the Philippines, Mexico, Australia, Russia, the Netherlands, Norway, and Denmark. I'm like, huh? Like, that's insane to me, thinking about all of those people that have, like, been wa- like been listening to my podcast, whether it's, like, one play or, like, four plays or 500 plays. It's insane to just have my art out there. Which, thank you, again, because without you as an audience, I would not be here. <laughs> I, I literally would not be able to find the creative assets that I have today. I would not be able to find this inspiration, like, all this inspiration that I would today. Oh, my God, it's raining outside. No, focus. Focus, Morgan. S- uh, Sodalite, focus. Um, so, now my main goal, now separating from the fact, my main goal is to have at least one play from every single continent in the world. And yes... I am including Antarctica. <laughs> like, I I thought about this too. And I was like, that's so stupid. Why would you include Antarctica? Especially when the population, like, I looked this up. It's around like 1100 in the harsh, like, Antarctic winter. And then there's like about 4400 in the milder, like, summer months, like around like October and February. And they have no permanent residence. But I still feel like if I'm able to get one play from, from Antarctica, I'm set. And like, oh my God, I even found out that like only 11 people in this world have been born in Antarctica. The first one in like 1978 or something like that. Let me know if you want me to contact that person and be like, hey, what's it like living in Antarctica? Or like, what's it like being born in Antarctica? Like, let me know. (laughs) I feel like that'd be really fucking funny just to like comment on that. (laughs) But you know, it is what it is. Let's just, let's just move on. So anyways, Every piece of art that exists needs an audience. Like, an audience is basically the lifeline to an artist's career. However, at the same time, an audience, despite being the one, like, the one primary thing that keeps art alive, it's also one of the things that can get most in the way. Basically, like, being an artist and a creator is like a double-edged sword because it's like a performer is at their most vulnerable in front of an audience, yet it's simultaneously stifled and hidden. Like in the applause or the laughter of the audience itself. An audience can really take a physical toll on you and inadvertently contribute to a lot of stress and sensory overload. And hell, like you could even have some like huge like mental health issues, like panic attacks and like anxiety and depression all from doing this. However, an audience can also provide a lot of energy that typifies shows or typifies art in the first place. And while filming inside, Bo loses all of that. He loses the stress and the sensory overload that an audience can provide. At the same time, he loses the energy and he loses the cover-up for all of this vulnerability that he's putting out there. And literally all of it's just on the table. All on. He's, he's going for it. So 
you think about this and you're just like how because <laughs> i mentioned earlier that he shot filmed wrote performed directed recorded edited all of this all by himself in one room and you're probably wondering to yourself like how even me myself like when i first watched this like the first couple of times i was just like how is he doing all this like how how did he put this all together and like make it such a masterpiece well it's basically like since this special was filmed in COVID, like during the COVID 19 lockdown and pandemic Bo had the mission to turn the situation of him being stuck alone in a room into something cinematic. And, like, there's only one location, nobody else to talk to in person, there's technically no intuitive way for your character to grow, since interaction with the outside world and other characters would just be, it's essential for growth, basically, when it comes to, like, basic, like, cinema. If you go to film school, again, I'm not a film student, but I'm just saying, I'm pretty sure if you go to film school, you would know that like other characters and other people to talk to is essential for the growth and development in a plot. That's, that just seems like common sense at this point. But on top of this, there's also a barrier coming in between him and the audience that he's performing his art for in the first place. And there's a lot of creators and artists that would just throw in the towel at this point and be like, no, I'm not gonna do this. They're not gonna find any point in creating in the midst of a global pandemic. However, Bo took this opportunity and he just rolled up his sleeves, got to work, and he made what seemed to be impossible be actually closer to reach than we all thought. Um, especially with like God, like I, I feel so bad for him, first of all, because like in All Eyes on Me, which is possibly like my favorite song from the special by far. And it's the like the song in the special that has over 20 million streams and is possibly the most popular song. But something about All Eyes on Me, there's this little rant that he has in there. And he tells us that in 2015, he quit performing live because he was starting to have panic attacks on stage, which is obviously not a good place to have them. So he would just go, go off, do his own thing. And he's like, you know what? I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to get better. And he did. And then he became so much better that in 2020, like January 2020, he was like, you know what? I'm going to start performing live again. I'm going to start working on some material. I'm going to start working on all this and all this. And then COVID happened in March and April of 2020, which fucking sucked for all of us. Literally all of us. The world basically turned upside down and he's just like, shit, what am I going to do now? Like he had all of this going for him and then he's forced to stay inside and work by himself and not have any exposure to literally anyone in like real time. So Bo gave himself all these limitations, filming the special alone in one room and doing all of the lighting and camera work and recording and editing and all this on his own. However, you would think that these constraints would restrict him, but instead they forced him to find creative techniques that no one else thought to look for. Um, basically, since he was only able to explore and experiment with all these different lighting and filming techniques, like he not only made infield English, he not only made inside, there we go, feel cinematic. But at the same time, he created what might be the best and only true expression of what it's like to be stuck inside with nothing to do and nothing to have but your thoughts and your phone, basically. Um, and the bulk of what makes inside feel so cinematic is portrayed in the camera work, the lighting, and the lyricism of his pieces. 
Um, so one prime example of the camera technique, I want to get into this real quick. It's so easy. He utilizes this technique throughout the entire special. It's the zoom. And you wouldn't think like, oh, that's it? Like, that's easy. Like, yes, it is easy. At the same time, it's primarily, okay, there are some things about the zoom that just create some sort of atmosphere that you wouldn't have imagined before. Like, the zoom is primarily used to create a sense of claustrophobia and anxiety, and it's done by either slowly zooming in, like, I'm sure I could do this with, like, a camera or something like that, just, like, slowly zoom in on a frame, or it could rapidly zoom in and out, and not only does this make this otherwise static shot more engaging, but it also feels claustrophobic as a singular room that he's filming in slowly either grows around Burnham or it's shrinking around him. Um, and it may be the easiest, well, it is the easiest, most simple technique to use, but it's skillful, but for, sorry, skillful filmmakers know how to use this technique to their advantage. Like, I'm pretty sure this whole, like, filming technique, it's not any different than, like, if you've ever seen The Shining, like, Stanley, Stanley Kubrick's use of the technique in The Shining, like, you can tell that there's, like, a sense of claustrophobia in there, there's a sense of, like, like, uh, like, like, <laughs> he uses that technique similar to The Shining. And because of the vast majority of shots in the special are completely either stationary or slowly zooming, the times where the camera actually does move, it feels a lot more surprising. Like, for example, it makes it funnier when the camera goes from still to falling. Or it makes it more liberating when Bo just grabs that camera and just spins it around the room. Because now we see, like, all, like, we see the whole room that he's filming in. This one singular room that he's filming in for this 90-minute special. We see it in a way that we never have before. And it's... Okay, so the prime example of this is All Eyes on Me. Again, it's towards the end of the special. And it's by far the most popular song from the special that has pretty much, like, over 12 million... 12? 20. 20 million streams on Spotify. And it hasn't even been two months since it's released. And that's, like, huge. So, like, he picks up the camera during, like, you know, when he goes, like, get up, get the fuck up! He says that. And then he picks up the camera, spins it all over the room, and something about that scene just feels so liberating and so exciting that I can't even describe it for myself. So, going back to the zoom technique, um, Bo carefully uses this technique to express different emotions. So there's this like short sequence in All Time Low, for example, which this sequence is so important in so many different ways, but I'll get to those reasons. But right now, we're using All Time Low as an, uh, as an example for the zoom technique. So he uses the zoom technique to visualize and express anxiety. So the bright moving lights combined with the eerie zoom on his face during his performance of All Time Low, it gives the visualization the visualization of sensory overload and it basically is similar to the feeling of a panic attack which i have personally had panic attacks before and like i was feeling a little anxious during that scene too i was just like oh like are you good and i was like wait am i good <laughs> like i never like i haven't had a film affect me this much in a long ass time i'm not even shitting you a long time and i'm just watching these scenes and i'm just like i get anxiety a little bit like every time just watching that because it's really similar to a panic attack it's really similar to like how i feel during the time as well as a lot of other people feel during this time uh and then he contrasts this intense moment with just a static desaturated shot of him just like talking in literally just like very very dim 
dark room. And it shows how hard anxiety is to detect on the outside and how terrifying it is on the inside. Because, like, me, for example, like, if I'm anxious at work or if I'm anxious at home or if I'm starting to have, like, a little episode, it's really hard to detect it on the outside. And when I feel like I'm starting to show it, I'll distance myself. And then it's just... Boom! Like, it's so terrifying, especially to go into, like, disassociation when you're, like, having an, like, an anxious moment and you're just, like, just still thinking about all these different things at once and you feel like you're stuck inside your body for a little bit. It's, it's a lot. Um, and it sucks. And the fact that he was able to portray this so well, it's, it's incredible. Um, so I have to give him props for that, as well as I'm giving him props for literally this entire special in the first place. Um, and then in his song, Welcome to the Internet, however, like, he uses the same zoom technique, but he uses it for a different effect. So, basically, unlike the panicky zoom and the anxiety attack when all-time low, it, the zoom in Welcome to the Internet, it starts off slowly. And something about it just kind of gives, like, a hypnotic feeling to it. And it, what he's trying to do is draw the viewer in. And as he sings about all the appeals of the internet at first, and it's like once you're completely sucked in, and once you're completely like invested in it, then <clears throat> excuse me, then the zoom becomes more aggressive, and the camera angles just switch and jump around all over the place, and it's representing the flashing of all the different things that you can click on on the internet all at the same time, and it just, it's like you can have access to all these things, and then and like the song turns more and more menacing, kind of like one of those evil villains, which again, we'll talk about that later. Um, it's an amazing representation of, it reflects how the internet just hijacks the senses and just leads the user into an addictive or morally dubious, like, rabbit hole. Constantly. Hell, like, I'm on the internet, I'm on TikTok, like, I'm a, I run a podcast. I'm on both my Instagram accounts all the time. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, TikTok, all of these social media apps, because I have to be, for one thing. And I'm on this, and I'm just like, shit. Like, sometimes I'll get into a rabbit hole, and I'm like, huh? What? Hmm? Um, All-time low and welcome to the internet use Zoom techniques to comment on two different things. But they both explore the overarching idea that what it's like to be stuck inside something. Whether it's stuck in your head, or whether it's just stuck in your phone, or stuck in the internet. Um, speaking of getting stuck in our phones, something about the camera work and, like, the lighting... Bo, I want to say, this is, this might be a stretch, but I feel like Bo is, like, one of the only filmmakers to date that knows how to portray the digital world in a very empathetic way. Because, like, okay, so you could justify this claim by considering how popular TV shows and movies, how their characters use smartphones. Because they're just a prop in the hand. Like, like this water bottle, for example. Like, I could just, like, carry it around and be like, oh, la, la, and it's basically, like, an empty prop. Like, there's no light coming from it or anything. Like, it doesn't even, it doesn't emit any light. It just looks like a blank, soulless prop. But for Bo, he instead, he gives a light to these objects. He, he gives light to these objects that people in the real world use so, so often. For example, like, he uses close-up, harsh digital light to create a very lonely shot where the subject, like him, looks physically separated from the world around him. And another example is shown in his song 30, where he holds, like, a little modular light that looks exactly like a smartphone, and then he just spins it around him while he's, like, singing about turning 30 in his underwear. Uh, <laughs> which, iconic. Um, and then he uses, like, okay, so it's, like, 
he uses light in a way that no other filmmaker does and he gives the digital world and in turn like digital devices in general the cinematic importance that they really deserve especially when it comes to a special like inside where it's all based on being stuck inside and again we'll get into like different themes of inside that i have noticed that play into that especially like the internet part um that's one of the overarching themes like one of the primary ones but we'll talk about that more on later um another example of using certain lights and effects to be make being stuck inside feel cinematic um in the sexing video for example um he makes the digital world feel intimate which you don't think you can make anything feel intimate unless there's someone there with you having an intimate moment no, like he he doesn't use a green screen or he doesn't use superimposed text in like post product production. No, he uses a projector to make the text messages appear physically within the room, and this makes it the only light source that he has within this whole sketch in general, besides his phone, of course. And by projecting the digital world onto a wall, he gives the online experience the tangibility it deserves, and this practical effects like also reflects the struggle people have when using the digital world to substitute for this deep, important human connection. You know what I mean? Here, want a break? <sighs> All right, so in the same way that he uses realistic digital lighting, he also uses realistic digital framing, which I'm sure some of you who have actually watched the special have picked up on this. But I'd like to point it out anyways. So he's on a FaceTime call with his mom during this during the song FaceTiming with my mom tonight. Um, he's and then he also makes fun of Instagram photos and white women's Instagram. And what he does to make this framing unique is that he stretches and shrinks the frame to the correct aspect ratio that the apps would use. Um, and like he basically like projects it as if you're looking on an actual phone. Um, and then it's basically like he does this, he does this for more than just accuracy. He does this more for, he does this more of like in white woman's Instagram, for example, he imitates the Instagram square aspect ratio, but within the frame, when the photos describe her feelings towards her deceased mother, and when the song starts to become a little deeper, he widens the frame and the photos describe her feelings towards her deceased mother. And that shows vulnerability and multifaceted experiences that surround the cliches of Instagram. And for some women, it's an easy way to cope with loss and stuff. And this small moment gives depth and sincerity to a song that otherwise would have just been a standard silly bit. So instead of Bo just like going after these people and just fucking making fun of them and just, you know, making like making all these jokes, this is a way of like reaching out an empathetic hand and being like, I understand it's okay. We get it. Which not a lot of people do. Like, you can't make fun of something, but at the same time, like, reach out an empathetic hand. But Bo finds a way to do that. It just... Anyways, so, <laughs> with that same technique, Bo widens the frame during FaceTiming with my mom tonight. And it's during the part where he's like, my mother's covering her camera with her thumb. Like, one of those. And you can see that he's getting so angry. And of course, this could be used as a bit. Just like, oh yeah, you shouldn't get so angry. Like, the thumb is covering the camera. What's the big deal? Um, even I thought that at first. But then I noticed that he widens the frame during this. 
and then his angriest parts of him just get pushed out of the frame. And in a way, it leaves Bo just frustrated and it leaves him unable to express himself fully. And in both of these examples, the aspect ratios on apps on phones limit our ability to see the full human experience around them. In a cinematic landscape, like where smartphones are largely ignored, Bo was able to harvest their full potential. And that's incredible. It really is just incredible. Um, Yet, along this, Bo is more than just stuck inside of a room or stuck inside his phone. Which you're like, huh? It's like he's stuck inside the special with itself. And you're just like, huh? What do you mean by that? So the main narrative arc in this special is whether or not he's actually going to be able to finish the special and then leave the room, right? And the visuals definitely serve that narrative. Like if you look back at the special itself, a small yet very important detail to this is that almost every shot in the special has all of his equipment laying around all over the place. Like the set design almost feels like a reflection of Bo's own mind while creating this special. Like it's like, whether it was intentional or not, there's like cords all over the place, there's electronics and everything's just twisting in all these directions. And like in the shot right before the end of the special where he's at its most frustrated and he has like his mental breakdown and just storms off, you can see the walls in the room create a frame within a frame and the equipment serves as like a barrier between the virtual audience that he's talking to and Bo himself. It seems as if he's trapped inside this special. It's a, it's like this artistic entrapment just adds like the final yet crucial layer to Bo just being stuck inside, just trapped. He's trapped within his own mind. He's trapped within his phone. He's trapped within the special. He's just trapped. Um, He's constantly working on and criticizing his own work. And to the point of insanity, literally, like with me, for example, I've been working on this podcast for so long and there are some points where I'm just like, and I just want to cry or I just want to punch something or whatever, because sometimes I just want this to be so perfect that I just feel so frustrated with myself and I feel like I need to do better. I feel like I have to do better. I need to do better. I can do better. That's basically what's happening here. Like it ties back to the point of not wanting to let go of the special because of putting himself out there and being vulnerable like that and putting so much hard work into it that he just wants to keep it for himself. Like, for example, like doing this whole project in itself, like I was able to relate to it on a heavy, heavy level. So I I felt like I didn't even want to let go of this. I felt like I didn't even want to record this. But here we are and I'm doing it because I feel like, I feel like I can be someone that can analyze this special and put it in a perspective and express my appreciation for the special and appreciate my just express my admiration for Bo in general just by doing this and I feel like a lot of people can agree and I feel like this could be like actually a topic that is like just there like it's gonna be talked about for ages might as well start now right um so all of his hard work and creativity and vulnerability in MSFC is out there, and he doesn't want that. For people like myself to interpret however they want, all of the anxiety in the special can be summarized in the song at the very end. Uh, during the end credits, he repeats the same line over, over and over again. It's like, it'll stop any day now, any day now. And you're like, oh, you know, this could be like a silly little bit, like whatever, like it'll stop any day. But then you're just like, wait, what is he actually referring to? 
Like, is he referring to a world being stuck inside? Is he referring to the chaos on the internet? Is he referring to his anxiety? Is he referring to the special itself? In some ways, I would think that the answer is probably yes to literally all of those questions. So with that, I want to look into some of the themes on like throughout the show. So I picked out three primary themes and oh my God, what the hell is wrong with me? I've been like burping all over the place today. I'm just gassy, whatever, it's fine. Um, so I found three particular themes that I want to touch on. So perfectionism is what I'm going to touch on first, which what I kind of like kind of dabbled in in the last section of the video um, where he's just super analyzing the special and critiquing himself to the point of anxiety, like insanity and anxiety. Yeah, perfectionism ties into a lot into that. And we're going to talk about that first. So perfectionism, it's kind of a weird theme when it comes to inside because at its core, like the special is imperfect. Like there's hard cuts that sometimes cut off the endings of songs and there are often frames that are cluttered with lights and microphones and camera cords. And then this gives the audience the illusion that he just, that this was just all put together last minute. However, in Bo's own words, like these cuts and frames and transitions, they're all very intentional. And he says that in, in the beginning of the show, when he prepares his audience for the rough cut of style editing, like, you'll notice in the special, he goes like, oh, welcome to whatever this is. By the way, fair warning, like, I can tell this special is going to be a little rough, so uh, expect very, so don't expect very smooth transit, and then it just transit, transitions to FaceTime with my mom tonight, <laughs> which at first I was just like, oh my god, that's so clever. And then I was like, wait, like, this meant something here. Like, it reinforces... It in the, like okay so this whole theory in special it reinforces like how everything is very very intentional it's reinforced in the reaction to um to his reaction bit that he did so he says that he uses the cutting off of a song as a comedic bit in some songs like unpaid intern and bezos like part one it's cut before the songs fully come to a conclusion and he points out he's like oh yeah i like to cut right where it's like trying to conclude and i think it's really really funny that way um, there are other songs in the special where he does, like, the exact opposite. It's just, like, lingering on Bo, continuing after the songs have been concluded, like, fully concluded. And the lingering effect allows the audience to peek behind the curtain a little bit. Like, you can see his perfectionism on display during these long cuts. Like, at the end of songs, like, turning 30, he'll, he'll be like, okay, check that one. We'll do one more. Like, something like that. Or similarly, at the end of Look Who's Inside Again, when he's on the floor, like, he'll just stop and be like, I took a big fucking breath, and then just start over again. But then at the end, he'll be like, one more, and just do that. And even though both of these takes were used in the final cut, I think Bo was unable to recognize that he was, like, what he just performed was the take that he was going to be used in the final edit, obviously calling for one more. That's just common sense. And this need for everything to be perfect, I feel like it's displayed at the end of White Woman's Instagram where it shows Bo meticulously watching everything back and making sure everything is exactly the way it should be in his mind. Like, when you compare White Woman's Instagram to songs like Funny Feeling, Welcome to the Internet, Don't Wanna Know, and Goodbye, it's easy to brush this off as more of, like, a shallow, like, silly song. But then you think about it, it, like, it doesn't appear to have, like, the same amount of symbolic depth as some of the later songs in the special. However, this cut 
at the end of White Woman's Instagram, it shows that not even the silliest songs that he can do are free from his critical eye. It's like his need to make everything perfect just, it just consumes him. Like, it's not free from his critical eye and his need for everything to be perfect in the way that he wants it to be artistically. So, speaking of this rough cut, I noticed that in a movie with a single person trapped inside a single room, you can notice... So, I noticed this. I'm sure some people notice this, too. This might be a small detail, but I noticed this. And I like to call this theme reality versus performance. So, again, in a movie with only one single person trapped inside a single room, I noticed, and you could probably notice, that there are actually two characters that coexist within this space and within this special. There's, of course... Bo Burnham. He's the singer-songwriter, he's the performer, and is present anytime he is singing or performing to his audience, right? The other character can go unnoticed by a lot of people. And it seems like like only transition points or moment where Bo breaks character, that's when the character Robert Burnham comes out. That is, okay, if you remember, I was talking about the history of his career, I mentioned that Robert is his birth name. He is the person that pops up when there's nothing to perform, and it's his real ordinary self like his true genuine self right for example like the character featured in the scene following white woman's instagram where he's like mulling over the song that bo just sang that's robert because he's just watching it and trying to make sure that everything's perfect um i would say that bo introduces us to robert within the first two minutes of the special like bo the performer sings in the first third person about robert's been a little depressed during the oh look i made you some content that one he sings robert's been a little depressed and in order to cope he's gonna get back to work and start performing again and throughout the entire special the audience gets to see glimpses of robert in between the performances of songs um the relationship between person and performer is explored really deep in the special especially when he's discussing the rapid decline of his mental health due to being in isolation for so long like in all time low see i was gonna come back to this all time low so something about all time low i feel like it's really really notable in like the camera angles and the lighting to express emotion as well as expressing robert and Bo in the same scene so in all time low robert begins to talk to his audience in a very dim room letting everybody in on how he's feeling throughout the day and he's able to express the positives as robert right however as soon as he starts to express feelings of negative negativity at all it just hard cuts to Bo, the performer describing a feeling of intense anxiety and unhappiness in a very light-hearted bubbly manner basically um and then directly after once he expresses that it cuts directly back to robert in the dim room this reinforces the idea that Bo is a coping me- is a coping mechanism for robert basically it's like Bo jumps out of robert's being to help him express his negative emotions because they're too heavy for robert in the first place robert was only able to express himself when it felt good or when he felt good so basically when he was asleep when he's like oh yeah when i'm sleeping i feel fine but then other than that like mm. robert was only able to express himself when he felt good and then Bo jumps out of Robert's being, like, if you think of Venom out of Eddie Brock, or, like, Heisenberg out of Walter White. I've watched Breaking Bad with uh, my boyfriend Ethan and his roommates and stuff, and it's a fucking amazing show. But basically, like, that's what that reminded me of. Just, like, Heisenberg out of Walter White, Venom out of Eddie Brock. Um, And it's, like, in addition to using Bo as a defense and coping mechanism, Robert's worried about the reception of dropping such heavily depressing topics 
on the audience as some of us would. Like if I were to talk on here and talk about all of my mental health struggles and talk about everything that's been going on inside my mind, literally like I like during episode 11 when I was talking about body image and like self-love and stuff like that and like society's view on beauty standards like that was even like a hard topic to talk about and I know a lot of people are just like I don't know if you should talk about this you shouldn't talk about this like I got a lot of people like that like oh yeah you shouldn't talk about this and then people were like oh yeah talk about this more we need to relate to you more like we need to do this and we're like we need to relate to the struggle more we need to talk about it more that can be very hard on an audience to hear hearing all of this heavily subject like heavily depressing subject matter if it begins to get too dark and heavy Bo knows as well as I know as well as everybody else knows the audience will pull back if it gets way too heavy and dark so in order to receive the reaction that he's looking for he uses Bo to make it funny and then he'll be able to talk about whatever the hell he wants to talk about without the audience pulling back and then he'll get the reaction Excuse me. Then he'll get the reaction that he wants out of them. Uh, so, perhaps if you go back and watch the special, like, again, to see the display of two characters within the special, I would say... I would say the most prominent and clear display of this is during the gameplay, like, uh, streaming parody. So it's basically like Bo, the performer. Bo, the performer, is playing on a video game that is basically the life of Robert. Robert's only available actions in the game are to cry, to attempt to escape isolation through a locked door, to pick up a flashlight and play the piano. That's it. Which is basically, like, what we were limited to during quarantine as well. Like, trying to escape, like, crying, all of this shit. Uh, Robert cries after attempting to escape isolation, realizing he's locked in a room. Then he picks up a flashlight and attempts to try to find an escape in a room. And then that's when he discovers a piano. And when he discovers a piano, like, it makes him incredibly happy. And Bo even points it out in the special. He's like, oh, he seems very happy now. Like, that's nice. But then as soon as he stops, like, this happiness is very short-lived. As soon as he stops performing, he just returns to crying immediately. And this parallels a later scene later in the special where Robert expresses the impending out of the special literally terrifying. Because it means he will be left with nothing else to save him from the isolation. Nothing to motivate him, nothing to work on. It's just him and his thoughts and his phone, which terrifies him. He's like, no, I'm not going to finish the special. Like, he jokes about it. Obviously, he finishes it because we see it. But he's like, no, I'm not going to finish the special. You're never going to see this. And let's keep going. You know, that kind of thing. Uh, but with this, this gaming streaming bit ends with a transition that reads, another night approaches, right? Before cutting to a new scene of Robert staring at the door when he's laying in bed and this further enforces the idea that the video game is meant to represent robert's daily life Bo, the performer is also delayed in turning off his camera again i don't know if you notice this he's delayed in turning off his camera transitioning past the video game scene and into a new unrelated scene finally um there's this little tiny bit that again I didn't even fucking notice this until like either I watched it like the 10th time and I was like, wait, what was that flash in the corner? And then someone pointed it out to me. I was like, huh? So there's this little tiny detail that is very, very important evidence that there are actually two different characters within the special. In the beginning, following the FaceTime with my mom tonight song, Robert is seen shuffling over his computer, 
He opens it up and he starts working, right? He sighs before the scene ends as it transitions to the next performance. However, if you're watching very, very, very carefully, you can notice that at the bottom right corner, you'll catch a single frame where Bo, the performer, flashes in his gaming chair and then just disappears just as quickly as he appeared, right? So this moment happens about 40 minutes before we actually see the actual context of the gaming personality. So what this reminds me of is Fight Club. So if anyone has seen Fight Club, you know exactly where this is going. But um, in the beginning of Fight Club, there are moments where the main character is going about his boring, mundane life, and then Tyler Dundane flashes on the scene for a single frame. And this happens like three separate times before Tyler Dundane's character is actually Durden. Wow. Tyler Durden. Wow. He flashes on screen for a single frame. I'm so sorry. It happens three separate times before Tyler Durden is actually introduced into the plot. The twist at the end of Fight Club is that it's revealed that the main character and Tyler Durden are literally the same person. Tyler Durden is a manifestation of what the main character wants. It's like the main character's desires. Tyler Durden is there to express the things that the main character wants to express, but he's not able to do it by himself. With this, that sounds extremely familiar to like the whole Robert and Bo situation. You're like, holy shit, like, did he mean to do that? Did he mean to do that? But I'm like, huh, interesting. Which, honestly, I really wish I could just interview Bo and be like, hey, so I noticed this and I noticed this. Was this intentional or was it not? I just want to pick into his brain. I did DM him on my podcast Instagram, but he hasn't opened it yet or read it, which is fine. Again, he's Bo Burnham. I don't expect anything <laughs> to come out of that. But um, so coming back to um, another theme, the last theme that I have is the Internet. So the Internet is referenced or discussed in some way, shape or form in just about every single song in every single scene of the special. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, I wish I could speak English. Because of the COVID-19 pandemic, most of our human interactions or like communications and stuff, they're just strictly over the internet due to the absence of like human to human interaction, right? I forgot to turn the recording light on like an hour into recording this basically. Wow, that's sad. Um, so one example of this disconnect is being explored through the song Sexting. And he sings, they made the internet for nights like these. And it's emphasized further in FaceTime with my mom tonight. So the way that the song is sung and the way Bo is lit in FaceTime with my mom, it makes it very intimate. And it's used to highlight that this is the closest, most personal human connection that he has had while stuck inside, even if it's just his own mother. Um, nearing the end of the special, he explains how this time in isolation has made him completely dissociate from the real world and completely shift all of his value into the digital world. Like, when someone is stuck inside, all of his social action, whether it's sexual or platonic, becomes digital. And only a physical representation of that experience can truly capture its emotional weight. Like, it also shows that how people online really aren't physical people. Like, you can hear my voice on the microphone right now, but you can't see a physical person. You can't see me right in front of you and you can't like touch my arm and be like, oh my God, you're here. Or, like, you know, shake my hand or anything like that. No, I'm not technically a physical person in a room with you. And it's literally like social media and the internet is basically like a, a literal projection of themselves. And that projection can also shield someone from the much more raw and unpredictable interactions, inter unpredictable interactions of, of the real world. Yep. English. Um, so 
Bo literally articulates this strange contradiction by imagining a world where the digital space is superior to the real world. And this is a quote from him in the special himself. This is like during his rant where he's just sitting there shirtless, like trying to talk to an audience. He goes, all human interaction, whether it be social, political, spiritual, sexual, or interpersonal, should be contained in the much more safe, much more real interior digital space. That the outside world, the non-digital world, is merely a theatrical space in which one stages and records content from the much more real, much more vital internet space. In this speech that he has, in Act 2, satirizes the idea that the online world can be more important than the physical one, especially during COVID-19, and it becomes more disturbing after realizing that for one person alone in a room, this strange online experience is like their only choice. Like for me, a lot of my online interactions, I, I felt like I had no choice. I didn't know what else to do. So online, here it is. Uh, <laughs> and this descent into complete detachment from the real world has been protected by Bo earlier in the special even. Like during 30, he responds to the younger generation saying he's out of touch and he says, and I quote, oh yeah, well your fucking phones are poisoning your minds, okay? So when you develop a dissociative mental disorder in your late 20s, don't come crawling back to me. He says this, and then he just continues singing. But before this, Bo discusses the dangers of the internet, like that the internet can have on the younger generation, suggesting that it was a bad idea, a bad call on our part, to let digital media corporations profit off the neurological drama of young kids. And like the internet... Oh my god you could tell that like within the special internet is acting as the villain being portrayed as the villain and nothing accentuates this point more than welcome to the internet which melodically and lyrically it sounds like an ominous villain theme song it's like here's excuse me <clears throat> and like the whole theme of like a villain theme song they're introduced they're villainized of course and then they're sympathized within the bridge of the song and then they laugh that famous villain cackle and the addiction and sympathy is deeply established into the protagonist so and so we'll notice this in the middle of in the middle section of welcome the internet Bo reminisces about the internet that he himself got started on and reflects on how its transformation has impacted children and this is the part where he sympathizes with the audience and lets the audience sympathize with him and this character that he's putting on, right? So in that specific part of the song, he cryptically sings to a young person and they grow up with the internet. Um, there's a line that is perhaps a commentary made by Bo about people use the internet. Like the line is, the time is now, your inside's out, honey, how you grew. The time is now reflects on how the internet makes everything available literally all at the same time all of the time like when you're online okay when online you're insides out you're insides out that line is because of people sharing their most intimate and personal information both to their friends and to the corporations that run these services in the first place and on top of this for gen z like i'm technically considered gen z because i was born in 1999 uh for Gen Z specifically, these same corporations have literally watched this whole generation of beings just grow up before their very eyes. Honey, how you grew! Since literally they've spent their entire lives online. This song doesn't just convey what it's like to be alone inside, like stuck on your phone. Like, Welcome to the Internet shows that because of technology, the very definition of inside has changed. Like, one's innermost thoughts, the thoughts that once are kept inside, have become targeted by all of these social media platforms for entertainment and profit. Like, for example, like, 
one thing that I've noticed lately is like one's innermost personal thoughts that they've been keeping inside. Social media platforms have been targeting this. And like one example of this is like the whole Gabby Hand drama. Because like you can tell she needs psychological help. Like major psychological help, right? But all this drama online, she's profiting off of it. The internet companies are profiting off of her being a fucking destructive psychopath. They're profiting. Everybody's profiting from this. And we're like, why is this happening? Why is this a thing? It shouldn't be, but it is. For God knows why. Um, this, oh my God. It's like, ultimately, even though people can stress this out, though, we need human interaction. I would like to point this out because I know if I keep talking about Gabby Hanna, I'm going to get super fucking upset. <clears throat> Rape apologist. <clears throat> Rape apologist. <clears throat> so, um, changing the subject, ultimately, even though people can stress this out, in person or online, whatever. We need human interaction. We do. We crave it and it fuels us and it makes us happier and healthier. It's literally part of human biology. Like it's literally a part of like, if you've seen like the five tiers of human needs, human interaction is on there in order for humans to like be happier, healthier, well-rounded individuals, right? And this pandemic really proved that way beyond the need for an audience like we need people around us and without it without human interaction without people around us it makes us numb and this numbness is perfectly personified in Bo's pitched down altered voice in all eyes on me in the days like atmosphere the song creates which honestly again is my favorite song of the whole thing and honestly you could see a lot of deep rooted emotions in that song like towards the end of the special where he like laughs to the audience it seems like the most genuine robert laugh that's ever come out of him and then it just he falls to the floor the camera falls it cuts and then he has his mental breakdowns and it's just soul crushing it really is like watching that over and over again it, it's soul crushing every single time it like it gets more soul crushing the more you see it but um anyways so i could tell that Bo. anyway so this is personified in all eyes on me <sighs> I could tell that Bo isn't the type of person that demands adoration. Like, but like every single human out there, we need support. We need love. And we need human interaction. Like, especially while throwing your entire being into a project like this. Human interaction is irreplaceable. Especially when it comes to, like, shit like this. Like, throughout the special, each criticism of the internet leaves the viewer with a funny feeling. This is because if a person stays inside, they're not only forced into a side of physical room, but they're also forced inside these strange unnatural online spaces that's basically the only option for human interaction and it's not even a person it's like the special exemplifies a strange blurring between the physical and the technological which insane honestly um so with this i would like to tie this is funny because i there are some moments in the special where you can really tie all these events together um here water break i've been talking for a while You heard up here. You listen to this? <laughs> ASMR at its finest. Um, so it's crazy how Bo knows how to visualize getting lost inside the internet, but at the same time, it makes sense considering like everything that he's done with his career, like starting on YouTube, like singing in his room, playing piano alone, 
like how his career has literally revolved around social media and how we interact with it. It also makes sense that since he's aged, he's become more cynical towards the internet and he's not afraid to bite the hand that feeds him, which is a lot considering like a lot of creators are like, oh, you know, the internet, like I'm saying, like Bo's like, hey, like this kind of fucked me up a little bit. Like he's not afraid to bite the hand that feeds him to get a more honest personification of what the hell is going on. Uh, so a huge example of the comparison is between Welcome to the Internet, which Welcome to the Internet, and then one of his songs from his very first album back in March of 2009, Welcome to YouTube, which I mentioned before. We were going to talk about this. Haha, <laughs> You remember that? Yeah, we're going to talk about this. So um, both songs describe what it's like to be online, right? But they both describe it in very different ways. So in Welcome to YouTube, Bo playfully comments about the people that use YouTube and has a simpler, more innocent feeling to it. Even back then, I'm pretty sure Bo had a feeling that corporations would turn the internet, not just YouTube, but like the whole internet, into something very, very sinister. And in Welcome to the Internet, like how it, it portrays like the people that use the internet as addicted victims. And it basically proves his 2009 predictions correct. It basically was just like, yeah, I was right. This is happening. And it's horrible, but I was right. So in the beginning of Welcome to the Internet, he describes what initially seems very impossible to resist and morally neutral. So kind of like a snake oil salesman. He's like, welcome to the Internet. Take a look around. And he's just like trying to be like, if nothing's of interest to you on here, you'd literally be the first. Like he's trying to describe this as like literally irresistible, something that you cannot pass up. But then as the song picks up pace, it dissolves into something clearly manipulative and traumatizing. Like, he creates a perfect collage of the wild overstimulation and complexity of the internet that can now provide, which is completely different than the internet that he sings about in Welcome to YouTube. Like, the whole vibe reminds me personally of what it's like to scroll through Twitter and Facebook. Like, Welcome to the Internet. Like, the overstimulation and complexity that the internet can now provide and how everything is available to you all at the same time, all of the time. It's like scrolling through Twitter or Facebook. Like, you can go through inspirational posts, you can go through mundane posts, you can go through tragic information all at the same time, literally within like a few milliseconds of each other. Just like boom, 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 boom. Like, all at the same time. And it's a lot. It's a lot. But that's just what the internet is. And the way that he was able to portray the internet in the first place, like his directing style, his camera work, his lighting style, it really emulates what he was able to do back in his directorial debut in eighth grade where he relies on the light of digital devices and uses that digital light artistically and it's really no surprise that inside continues that tradition but it would literally be dumb of me to not point that out like literally he used the techniques that i use in inside to his own advantage for inside and honestly i really commend that as well um and then <sighs> tying back to all-time low i don't know what it is about all-time low like something about it it's just so heavily rooted in like so many deep metaphors and like analysis that i just couldn't pass up doing literally every single thing so in the all-time low scene it reminds me of the finale of his previous comedy special like make happy and he's doing that kanye rant and he's talking about like a chipotle burrito and how he can't fit all of this shit into a burrito and he's like well if i would have known that the burrito would have been like the wrap would have been too small for all this stuff then i wouldn't put all this shit in the burrito and i wouldn't have all this trouble to, like try to wrap it up and all that yada 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 he uses this chipotle the burrito as a metaphor for not being able to handle his newfound fame and success at the time so he's saying that he wouldn't have made the choices he made in the past if he knew that it would be too much for him in the present 
Like, he, he, he would have. In the end of that, he's saying you can tell them anything if you just make it funny, make it rhyme, and if they still don't understand you, then you'll run it one more time. And basically, like, yeah, it's basically what Robert is using Bo to do in the all-time love scene. Just like, I'm trying to tell you something, but like, I'm just going to try to make it funny, and I'm just going to run it by you another time. Like, you know, I'm going to reiterate it, and this is what's going to happen, and yeah. Um... And with this, you would think, oh, there's something that brings all of this together. So all of these ideas in the special are come together in a grand moment where the brilliance of the film announces itself and it makes its thesis statement. And it, tie- it ties up his career together in a bow, basically. It ties up the special together in a bow, but it also reflects on his life and ties his career together in like a pretty little bow and a little gift basket. It's the closing song, Goodbye. It sums up not only the creation of the special itself, but it has like interweaving melodies and lyrical passages from previous songs in a melody. A melody, sorry, but it's medley. Medley. <laughs> I remember what a medley is, but like goodbye basically reflects on his life in general. And if you really look at it, you can really reflect on like how that's done. So I've been talking for a while. So. <laughs> I'm just going to get to my closing segments real quick. So, in the special, Bo Burnham made a movie in a single room all by himself. It sounds like an impossible task, but he's literally done everything in his career to give himself the experience to do so. And he started out by playing piano alone in his room, and he gained expertise on experimental lighting, and he was able to accurately film the digital world. And all of this came together and gave him the tools to express what it was like to be stuck inside in a cinematic way. In a short, simple manner, I would say that Inside could be described as the funniest psychological horror that I personally have ever seen. Uh, <laughs> excuse me. Wow. Um, it's like all the claustrophobic visuals and the intimate yet madding, rel- maddening reliance on the internet and the anxiety that comes with being stuck inside your own head is all how he was able to make Inside cinematic in the first place. By using film language and a fine-tuned understanding of the online world, he was able to bring together all of these layers of the inside experience. And it leaves us with a funny feeling, obviously. The funny, like, just like Bo describes in his song, The Funny Feeling, this special, like, is an exploration of the funny feeling that we get when we're inside. No matter what the inside may look like for literally everyone out there. And funny feeling kind of has, like, a double meaning to it, kind of like a double-edged sword to it. It's, like, obviously funny, as in, like, something humorous, which he obviously plays on because he's a comedian. Of course he does. Um, but then also funny is some, like, something's different. Like, something's going on here. Something's very suspicious. Like, something out of the ordinary that's very, like, suspicious and different. Like, he plays on both of these things. And we all know that funny feeling. Trapped inside the modern world. But with this in mind, Bo Burnham might just be the first filmmaker. Again, huge stretch. He might just be the first filmmaker to both really understand this and leverage the medium of film to express it. And now that I think about it, um, with all this depth and symbolism and all this analysis I've only done is only just scratching the surface of Inside and what it has to offer. I would say that I, I never even touched on the very ending of the special where he sings the goodbye song, right? And the door is cracked. And Bo is able to finally leave the room. Only to discover that he was on stage the entire time. And he's met with applause. 
With this in mind, he gets overstimulated, and he begins to scratch and claw at the door that locks behind him, trying to get back in the room that he was spending all of this time trying to escape in the first place. It's like, I want to interpret this as like, he's done with the special, right? He's done, but he doesn't want to let go of it. He wants to continue keeping it to himself, and he wants to continue working on it, but he can't do that anymore because it's no longer just his. It's ours now. Bo has suffered literally in front of our own eyes to make this special, and we're the ones that benefit from the completion of it. And I never got into the parallel, too, of like, while this special is going on, he watches his old YouTube videos at a projector, and in the clothing shot, he is watching his own special back deadpan on a projector in like the final minute of the special, right? And for a moment, I wonder, as well as probably other people, we wonder if they're like the artist the victory for everybody except for the artist himself, right? And I'm just like, oh my God, like, is it worth it? Is it worth it? And then he smiles. <sighs> That's where we take a huge sigh of relief and we're just like, thank God, like he loves his own work. He loves it, right? I would personally say that the special is so cathartic and special especially since it's more than just a special. I, I've proven this right here on the podcast. It's way more than just a special. It's more like a documentary. I got so excited, sorry. It's more like a documentary of how Bo created a special, but also a documentary of how Bo coped with the pandemic. And he was able to deeply connect with his audience and be deeply honest and vulnerable while relating like so like to so many of us, making Inside a comfort for, film for us now. And that's for me included. I mentioned this, like it's a comfort film to me. And overall, I'm just really glad that Inside exists. And I really hope Bo is too. I hope he's thankful that Inside exists. And with that, that is the end of my analysis. Holy shit. That, <laughs> that was a lot. Um, so I want you to interact with me and tell me what your thoughts on Bo Burnham's special. And at the same time, if I get an update and see like, hey, can I like do a virtual call with Bo Burnham? I'll let you know. Again, it's a long shot because it's Bo Burnham and I'm just little old me, but you know, one can dream. So <laughs> there's that. So we're gonna go into our closing segments. So one of the closing segments that I have is what can Morgan not stop listening to? I would say what's stuck in my head, but I can't hear literally shit in my head. Uh, so there's a song that I've been singing lately, New York, New York by Frank Sinatra, and it's a classic, and you're like, why is this stuck in your head? Like, this is so random. So, during the 4th of July, I went to Casa Chameleon Karaoke in my hometown, uh, and it was, like, the busiest karaoke night that we've ever had, personally. Um, and, yeah, it was just uh, so great. And then Ethan got up and sang, and he sang New York, New York by Frank Sinatra, and my heart was just pounding, like the entire time, just like this, pounding. And I was so like, it It was like that night, like I was like, I don't know if I could fall any more in love with this kid that I am now. That proved that I can be, so <laughs> there's that. Um, so that song's been stuck in my head a lot lately. Um, and now we're going into it with um, my weekly obsession. So if you haven't been noticing, throughout the past month, I've been trying to get like more active on my podcast account. Like I've been trying to comment on people's lives. I've been trying to like other people's posts and comments like on their Instagrams and stuff and get interaction with people in the comments, use all these hashtags and stuff. And while I was going through it, I was watching a live from Skylar Gray's company, 
which is the small business shout out that I did on my 15th episode with Janae on it. And she said something on the live because someone asked her, like, like, do you have any advice for growing on your small business? Because I'm getting frustrated with how my small business is not growing. And Skylar said, if you love what you do, they will come. And something about that just stuck with me. And it's like, she talked about tips about how like grow your business and watching your business grow. But like at the same time, like if you love what you do, they will come. And it made me think of like the podcast because right now I love every single moment of what I'm doing right now. I love being on this podcast. I love talking in front of a microphone. I love talking. <laughs> like in general, I love expressing my thoughts. I love just being here and I love being creative, finding new music, finding little things to obsess over for the week and like find gratefulness in that. I love the connections that I'm able to make with small business of the week. I love that I'm able to like give back to all of these small businesses that literally work their asses off from the ground up to create what they're creating today, doing what they love. And if if you do it if you do what you love, they will come. And honestly, I might create that as like, like I might make that like a wallpaper or something like that. Or maybe I can use it on like the podcast or something with Skylar's permission. I'm pretty sure she gave me permission, but I'm not sure. Um, so with that, speaking of small business of the week, I have a very special one here for you. So I was talking about my crystals and stuff, right? So I would like to give a small business of the week shout out to Lunar Lavender Co. So... Her name is Becky Lynn, and she, ever since she was little, she was always, she always had a passion for, like, geology and rocks and minerals and art and stuff like that, and she always went to art shows in her community telling her mom that she was going to have a booth of her own someday, you know, like, that kind of thing. Uh, for the past five years, she's been looking for ideas about starting her business, and then she was, like, and she, if she was going to, like, sell the art and jewelry that she created, but she was never able to come up with the idea at first of, like, starting this business or, like, trying to get whatever on her feet and then okay so since she was in high school maybe like her sophomore year she developed a huge passion for crystals and spirituality in general which ties back to like the geology rocks minerals and art kind of thing um and she slowly started cr collecting crystals and educating herself about them and how they can make our everyday lives better um like for example like my angel light right here on my neck that's like closer to my throat it's for communication and like intuitiveness in the higher self where I have like this honey calcite on my other necklace and it's for um, balance and harmony and just stability, stuff like that. Then I have my sodalite for focus and my green adventuring for luck and prosperity. Just like finding out stuff like that. Um, for background, she's always struggled with the social anxiety and generalized anxiety, which same here, and depression, a lot of mental health issues. So she's been working with these crystals to help her push her on a journey from healing to on healing herself from within. Uh, and then this sparked the desire to share her knowledge with the world. Um, and this is actually kind of a funny story because I don't know if you can hear that, but there's like fire trucks and like little trucks going like beep, beep, beep. Sorry, beep it's c-sharp and then there's like like i don't know if that's an ambulance or a fire truck but i hear it going sorry <laughs> i'm just gonna back get back to the small business shout out of the week um so she heard about the juniors english morgan i'm getting excited sorry <laughs> she heard about the jupiter saturn conjunction 
on December 21st of 2020. So it happens to be the day where she launched her small business. So if you're not familiar, the Jupiter-Saturn conjunction is the best day for setting something in motion for long-term success. And she ended up scrambling for like three or so months to get everything ready to open by that date and was done putting off her dreams. So this is where the story comes in. I noticed, I was like, December 21st of 2020, where have I, like, this seems like very significant to me for some reason. I don't know why, but something feels significant to me. And then I remembered that was the day where the seed was planted in my head. I was like, I should start a podcast. I should start that soon. That was that. And <laughs> it only took me until March of like 2021 of getting this actually going. But I got the seed planted in my head on December 21st of 2020. I don't remember the exact time of day. I'm pretty sure it was like some time like at night because I was just talking to myself. Go figure. And I was like, I just started a podcast. That'd be so cool. And I'm like, Morgan, like you lit. It's insane. So I thought that was really coincidental, until really fucking freaky, but cool at the same time. So anyways, the start of her shop was filled with jewelry designs to sell along with crystals. And uh, as her shop got more traffic, she was able to get a lot more jewelry out there. Uh, and she was able to get a lot more crystals in her inventory as well, allowing her to include them in her Etsy shop. Uh, and then... Yeah, that's basically all it is from there. Uh, so for future projects, she's hoping to include her own artwork, like paintings with hemp-wrapped crystals attached to them, like jewelry dishes, macrame, crystal purses, starter kits for herbs, and different intentions, crystal sets for confidence, zodiac sign situations, and so much more. Uh, her messages are always open to anyone, like even if you don't purchase a product for her, but if you are looking for advice for protection, herbs, intentions, affirmations, and a ton of other things of like spirituality in that matter, the best way to reach her is through her um, Etsy account shop, which is at Lunar Lavender Co. L U N A R L A V E N D E R C O. Lunar Lavender Co. Or through her Instagram account. It's lunar.lavender. Uh, that's her Instagram account. And she answers pretty quickly. And like she's, despite being a, like a student and like working full time apart from her Etsy shop, like that's pretty incredible that she's able to keep up on this shit like so often and like respond pretty quickly. Like it's pretty cool. So I want to give a shout out to you, Becky Lynn. Um, and this is not set in stone yet. However, Becky and I have been talking and I am thinking about starting my own coupon code with the shop. Again, there's a lot that has to go into it, and there's a lot that she has to consider for her business, and I have to consider for the podcast. So we're working on a code, so keep your ears out for that, because I will give that out to all of my No Internal Monologue listeners as soon as it comes out and as soon as it's approved. Okay? Got it? Got it. Okay. Awesome. Small business of the week. Done. So what we get to do now is we get to go to the hot take haiku of the day. <sighs> Oh, God. Oh, sorry. I, Jesus, I thought I had to either like cough or sneeze or both. So I was just like, what is going on? So sorry about that. Um, But I am going to play some relaxing music here. And I am going to get my hot take haiku of the week started here for you. Let's see. So I'm going to turn that all the way up and I'm going to go to here we go. Broadway is so nice, especially modern works. I love. 
And that is it for the Hot Take Haiku of the week. Um, again, if you want to send me ideas for a Hot Take Haiku, or if you want to send me topic ideas in general, if you want me to deep dive into more like comedy specials or films or TV shows or stuff like that, or if you just want to be on the podcast in general or like ask me a question, then all you got to do is hit me up on all my social media. So my main Instagram and then my Twitter are the exact same, K-I-N-D-A underscore M-O-R-G-A-N-N. My TikTok is M-O-R-G-A-N underscore L-E-I-G-H 99. My, uh, my official podcast Instagram is no internal monologue underscore podcast. So go check that out, please. Please check that out. I will know you're a fake fan if you don't check that out. <laughs> I'm kidding. But seriously, go check that out. It helps me out a lot. And literally following pe- people is free. So why not? And I, I promise I won't spam you too much. Wink, wink. Uh, and then my Spotify playlist will be in the link down below for anyone that wants to listen to all of the songs that I recommend for What Can Morgan Not Stop Listening To. Uh, so that Spotify playlist will be down below. Um, and... I don't think I'm forgetting anything. So I think that's about it for the podcast. Again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting me and everything. And yeah, I think that's it. I will see you next time and I will talk to you soon. Toodles. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Toodles.